Good morning, everyone. Uh, hey, if we haven't met, my name is Dominic. I'm one of the pastor elders here. Uh, glad to be with you guys today and glad to be with a few of you that I get to be physically present with. Uh, so here's the deal. The plan was to teach uh, one sermon on prayer in the middle of this, what used to be a nine-week um, series. <clears throat> and every time I would sit down to uh, prepare the next week's sermon after the prayer sermon, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, uh-uh, <laughs> we're not done yet, homie. Uh, and so, such is the case for today. I think it's the last week we're talking about prayer. But as I was preparing two weeks ago, I felt like God said, hey, I don't want you to talk about fasting yet. I want to talk to the people uh, on a, about fasting using an entire Sunday to do that. So we are talking about fasting and prayer today. I will call it prayer fasting. The title of the sermon is Fasting for Freedom. This will not be an exhaustive teaching on prayer fasting. There's many of those out there. You can find those. I would encourage you to do that. But today I want to talk about one particular aspect of prayer fasting that I believe God wants us to lean into in this season. Specifically, the power of prayer fasting to break spiritual strongholds. Fasting for freedom. Now, listen, I know that as soon as I say fasting, you're like, yeah, this ain't for me, dude. I really like food. Or this ain't for me. That's something only like super spiritual Christians do. I recognize this is not a part of many of our prayer lives. I recognize that many of us don't actually even have prayer lives. But listen, uh, this is for you. This is for me. Um, the life of a disciple is a life of dependence, okay? And fasting is a demonstration of dependence on God. Let me say it like this. Just like athletes train in preparation for what is coming, fasting is a way to uh, train the muscle of dependence on God for what is coming. Most of us don't fast for the same reason that most of us don't work out. Um, we value comfort too much. So much so that we are unwilling to do something uncomfortable, like fast or work out, even if we know that the results that will come from it will be powerful and will make us stronger. But God wants us to be powerful and he wants to make us stronger. This is something that Christians ought to be doing as a regular rhythm of our lives. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Not if you fast, but when you fast. David fasted. Esther fasted. Moses fasted. Daniel fasted. The whole nation of Israel would fast. The early church fasted. Jesus himself fasted and taught about fasting. And the assumption from Jesus in Matthew 6 is that the people of God will practice not just praying, but praying and fasting. And it's not as crazy as you think. I'm not talking about Jesus going out into the mountains, no food or no water for 40 days. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about skipping a meal in order to uh, acknowledge our need for God and turning toward him in prayer, okay? So don't tune out right now. Believe really that God is um, wanting to encourage us to lean into this in this season. And I believe that as we do so, we're going to see strongholds torn down and freedom come. So we're in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Uh, it's several verses, okay? It's like 15 verses. So like track with me 
catch the story here. Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, he's talking to Jesus, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him, so now Jesus talking to the father and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, and the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people were coming together, so all the people are crowding around, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. This is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? The disciples found themselves in a, um, a sticky place that they couldn't get out of. They didn't know how to get out of, Lord. They asked you, you had a very simple one-sentence answer for them. Many of us find ourselves in a sticky place that we too feel like we can't get out of. We are asking that you would teach us like you taught the disciples that day and that I would have clarity to speak as clearly as you did and that my words would line up with your heart and mine today. We choose to open our ears and acknowledge that um, because you're the God who loves us and who speaks to us, that you have something to say to us. We open our ears to hear that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's the main point, all right? The point is this. There are some strongholds that can only be broken through prayer and fasting. Simply put, there are some strongholds that can only be broken through prayer and fasting. To be clear, when we see fasting in Scripture, it is not always accompanied by prayer, but what I am talking about today is exclusively uh, the, the two things partnered together, fasting and prayer, because that's what Jesus talks about here. So what is prayer fasting? Simply put, prayer fasting is the deliberate abstinence from food in order to commune with and rely on God through deliberate focused prayer. When I taught on biblical lament a couple of weeks ago, I said that lament is the language for living in the space between our present life full of heartache and our future glory full of fulfilled promises. Okay, the fulfilled promises of God. Lament gives us language for the space that we're living in. Similarly, similarly, 
the physical hunger we experience while fasting reminds us that we will never we will never be fully filled or fully satisfied until Jesus returns because we're living in this space right now. We will always like Romans 8:23 says, groan and long for the day that Jesus comes and completes our redemption. And This is the common denominator whenever we see fasting in Scripture. There's always this acknowledgement that we're living right here. We're not here yet. The kingdom of God is not fully manifest yet. I want to give us a couple of examples. 1 Samuel chapter 7, God's people fasted in order to recognize how far from God they were and how desperately they needed Him. Okay, So when they fasted, their physical hunger and need for food reminded them of their spiritual hunger and need for food. For God. In 2 Chronicles 20, God's people faced an unbeatable enemy and they fasted. As their bellies were empty, they were reminded that their hopes were also empty unless God showed up. In Psalm 69, David wept and fasted, but not because of his own sins, but because he was ill treated by others. Very interesting. So his lack of food there in Psalm 69 reminded him of the lack of love and care from the people around him, which drove him to look and long for that love and care in God alone. In Matthew 4, we see that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, praying and fasting. In his humanity, Jesus acknowledged his need to be emptied of his flesh and to be deeply in uh, intentionally connected to the Father and to the Spirit. In Acts 13, the early church had a habit of not just praying, but praying and fasting. The fasting was a physical reminder that yes, Jesus had come, right? Uh, but they were still living in this fallen world where everything is not perfect until Jesus comes again. And in Matthew 9, Jesus said that his people would fast, as we waited in this space for the bridegroom to return and make all things right. Fasting is a physical reminder that we will never be satisfied fully on earth, not until the kingdom of God is fully manifest here. And this hunger for food when we fast should drive our hearts to say, right? Because it's, you know how it is. When you're hungry for food, you have a drive in you to go get some food, right? Well, that, that drive that we feel in us physically should drive us then toward God to say, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And the reason I chose this particular story to talk about fasting is because just like this father in the story, we need Jesus to come quickly. Like, Lord, return, yeah, yes and amen. But like even right now, God, in my own psyche, in my own life, come right now, Jesus. We need you to break through into our lives, into my own mind, in my own soul, in my heart, into our families, into our churches, into our community right now. And in this story, Jesus explicitly makes the connection between breakthrough and prayer fasting. So let me break it down into five points uh, that we see in the, the progression of this story. Number one, I want us to see the state of the father and the disciples, okay? Uh, I'll call it a helpless desperation. The father and the disciples are helpless and desperate. The dad doesn't know what to do, right? 
we see that here. His kid has had this thing um, his whole life, and up until this point, nobody's been able to help him. He is, he's crying literally out to Jesus. The parallel account tells us he's falling on his knees before Jesus. He is desperate and he's helpless. But at least the disciples show up, right? Okay, the people of God are here. It's like, dun, dun, dun. Uh, everything's going to be good, right? Nope. It's not good. The, I, I bet, I'm imagining the father saw them coming and was like, oh, thank God. The disciples of Jesus. Because I bet their, their reputation had preceded them. Because before this, Jesus had given them authority to cast out demons. And they had gone out on their missionary journeys without Jesus and were casting out demons. And so I'm sure as they were coming down the road, it was like, hey, dude, to the father, those are the disciples of Jesus. They, they've been doing this. Your kid is a demon. They cast out demons. They'll get them. And I bet you they were like, Hey, yeah, it's true. Like, we can help. Like, we've been doing this. Jesus gave us authority to do it. We've seen success in this. I'm sure they showed up, not arrogantly, but just like, yes, confident in God that they could do something about this because they had done something about situations like this previously. But for whatever reason, we're going to find out the reason. When they tried to cast out this demon, when they wanted to see deliverance for this boy, there was none. And they're stumped by it, right? We see that later. There's no freedom there. And so now, not only is this father uh, helpless and desperate, the disciples are now helpless and desperate. Okay, helpless desperation. That's what we see here. Number two, we see a permanent incarceration. This boy has been tortured and trapped his entire life. Permanent incarceration. This demon has taken over his body. And if you've ever seen a person who is demonized, you know that this boy is absolutely in bondage, like behind prison walls to this evil spirit with no way of getting free. And as far as he knows or anyone knows, it's never going to change. It is a permanent incarceration. Number three, we see an inevitable destruction. Okay, the boy's condition is chronic it is incurable and it is destructive. First of all, his condition is chronic. It was a lifelong thing. The father tells us in 21, verse 21, uh, that this has been happening since the boy was a child. We don't know how old he is. He could have been like in his 30s and the dad's still trying to care for him. We don't know. Um, and it appears that the condition is incurable, right? Even the disciples who Jesus gave authority to do this kind of thing couldn't do anything about it. It appears to be incurable and his condition is destructive. When the father describes his son's experience in verse 22, he says that this evil spirit often throws him into the water and into the fire trying to kill him. And this is how Jesus describes the work of the enemy even in John 10, 10 when he says, the enemy comes to steal from us, to kill us and to destroy us. As far as anyone can tell, the situation is hopeless and destruction is inevitable. I want to pause here for a minute um, before we get to points four and five and just acknowledge that some of us find ourselves in the first part of this story with um, the disciples and the, the father who are feeling helpless and desperate. You want to see freedom for other people, probably, and uh, you've been doing what you can and you don't see any change. Maybe you've just been praying on behalf of yourself, um, doing what you can and you don't see any change. 
I just want to say and acknowledge today that you're not alone. You're in good company here, okay? I imagine that this father did everything that he could have done. His desperation tells us, like, dude, this, this guy was passionate about seeing his son set free. I bet he did all the research he could have done back then. I bet he exercised all of his resources and all of his connections. You know that he prayed, but to no avail. And the disciples, uh, they're not in a different boat, unfortunately. They did everything that they knew how to do and that had previously worked and that they thought they were supposed to do, but they too came up empty. And this is where some of us find ourselves desperate and helpless. And I need to stop mid-sermon and just say that if that's you, Jesus sees you right now. I'm going to be honest. My temptation in a story like this is to be like, dude, let's just get to the good part. Let's get to the good part where Jesus finally brings the freedom, right, and sets this kid free. But I have to pause. I'm going to pause for another like four minutes right now. I have to pause because the Bible and Jesus pause right here. Okay, I don't know if you caught it, but the Bible and Jesus pause right here. I need to bring our attention to something. Mark makes sure to tell us that the Father said in verse 22, listen to this, if you can do anything to Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Us? Like, the dad isn't sick. The dad isn't demonized. The son is the one who needs the help. It's very obvious when you look at the story. But the dad doesn't say, have compassion on my son and help him. He says, Jesus, please, please, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And gosh, as I read this this week, I was like, man, I've been getting so emo lately when I preach. You guys are going to have to deal with it, man. (laughs) This hit me this week. I was like, gosh, this is so raw. This is so real from this father, dude. He's just being so honest. He's not trying to pretend that this is only about his son. (laughs) He's like, this is hard, Lord. I know I'm not demonized. I know I'm not the one being thrown into the fire, but this is hard for me too. This is really hard for me. Lord, can you please help us? Because the father may not have been the one with the evil spirit, but his son was not the only one suffering from the work of the enemy. The ripples of the the work of the enemy had gone far and wide. And scripture wants parents and caretakers and prayer warriors and friends who are in this position and you're right in the middle of it right now to know that Jesus is not only here for the person who needs the freedom. He's also here for you and he also sees you. And on this Father's Day, man, I just want to say there's some fathers who need to hear that. You need to hear that, man. Jesus sees you. He sees you and he stops. He pauses in the middle of everything. Look what Jesus did. Did I read this passage dozens of times. It just hit me this week. Verse 21. So Jesus asked his father, the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? Listen, don't skim over this. This isn't Jesus being polite or small talking. Jesus doesn't small talk. Have you ever read the Bible? He's not like getting his tools out to cast out the demon. And in the meantime, he's like, hey, man, so nice cloak, by the way. Where'd you get that? Also, how long has this been happening? He's not a doctor just being like, tell me about yourself. Jesus doesn't do that. This isn't a nicety. Jesus does this on purpose. Okay. Jesus asks the question, how long has this been going on, man? Tell me. 
because Jesus deeply cares about this father and this family and this situation. This is the question of an empath, someone who is empathetic, caring about what's going on on the other side of the situation, right? I think what we need to see here is that Jesus doesn't just care about the miracle, he cares about the man, okay? And we need to know that he does not want us to only experience his healing for us, but also his heart for us. We have to see that this wasn't just an issue or a problem to be fixed to Jesus. This was something that had real life-altering detrimental effects on real human beings and Jesus really cares about real human beings. Jesus is validating this man's suffering. This moment is about the father. He's like, hey, this is hard for you, huh, dad? This is hard for you too. I see you, man. I see your pain in this. I see the struggle in this. I can imagine how it is. I'm here. I'm here for you. I see you, dude. What Jesus shows us here is what it means to walk in love. Guys, this is part of love. A huge part of love is empathy. Seeking to understand what it's like to be on the other side of of suffering. Asking the question, can you help me understand what it's like to be in your shoes? Can you help me understand what it's like for you to be dealing with this? How long has this been going on? Has it been like this your whole life? And I think we have an opportunity to do some of this in our culture right now. To be like Jesus and say, man, how long has this been happening to you? What's it like to be on the other side of this? You are experiencing a certain level of oppression that I don't experience. What's that like? Can you share that with me? I want to understand because love says, what's it like to be where you are in this situation? I think we can take a cue from Jesus in this moment in history. So if you find yourself like this father today, discouraged and beat up, you need to know that Jesus sees you. He sees you right where you are, and he really, really cares, not just about your situation, but about you. Or maybe you're like the son, man. You're like, I ain't thinking about getting anybody else free. I'm not looking for, I'm not praying for freedom. I'm not working for freedom. I need to be free, and I don't know what to do about it. And maybe you're not tormented by demons. Maybe you are. But something is holding you back, right? Because the work of the enemy shows up in many different ways, and it doesn't always look spiritual. As far as these people knew, the, the book of Matthew actually gives no spiritual description to this man, uh, this young boy. It, it says that he was having seizures and he was an epileptic. He, he just had a physical problem. He had a neurological problem. But what we see here is that it was actually a spiritual underpinning to what was going on. So maybe you don't even realize it's spiritual because it just seems practical. Either way, you might find yourself like this boy today and this family, and maybe it's even been lifelong for you, incurable. The question is, what do we do with that? And how do we, how do we deal with that? Which brings us to our, uh, the fourth thing that we see in this story Prayerful starvation. Whoa, that's like a crazy term, right? Prayerful starvation. Jesus arrived prepared after praying and fasting. Okay, what do we do with the lifelong, incurable, and hopeless situations or strongholds? 
Well, the disciples asked the same question of Jesus, and he had a very specific, simple answer. He said in verse 29, so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So the disciples are like, yo, Jesus, after this whole thing, I love that they wait till they get back in private, because what were they doing when they saw it happen? Like, they will see Jesus walking up, and they're like, I mean, he, he told us we had authority to do this. We tried. Like, did they, were they like, hey, Jesus, we love you. We know you're God and everything. But like, we already tried, bro. You can't, this one doesn't come out for whatever reason. I don't know what they're thinking. And then they see it happen and they're like, what? How did he do? But they wait till they get back in, in the house and their minds are blown. And they're like, Jesus, you got to tell us what happened. We tried to cast the thing out the way you told us to and the way we had had success doing it and we couldn't. And then you show up and you do it. What's the difference, Lord? Apparently, the difference is that before Jesus ever showed up, he had already been praying and fasting. He says to them, oh, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Jesus had a pattern of praying and fasting. And so when they're like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, here's the difference, man. I had been praying and fasting. He, we see him doing this in Matthew 4, right? We see him, I think he's doing this in John chapter 4 when he tells the disciples he doesn't want any of their food. He had been fasting. He was a Jewish man. This was a, a part of his spiritual practice, no doubt. And he wanted the disciples and he wants us to see that in this situation, here's the answer, guys. This is the difference between what they did and what he did. Jesus was not saying, okay, Jesus was not saying this, uh, once you saw the, the dilemma, you should have gone away, prayed and fasted, and come back, which is usually what we do, right? We see like a problem, and then we're like, I'm going to go pray about it and fast about it and see if I can get some breakthrough. He didn't say that, and that's not what he did. He didn't show up, and he's like, oh, man, this is a crazy one. I'll be back in three hours, guys. I'm going to go fast lunch and pray, and I'll be back. That's not what he said to do. He's saying to them, had you already been praying and fasting before you got here, like I did, you would have had a different and more favorable experience. And in this, we see that prayer fasting is not only a response to impossible situations, but a preparation for them, which is why this should be a regular part of our lives. And on a first glance, it kind of seems like Jesus is just like, well, you know, dude, I'm a son of God. Of course, I can do things that you can't do. But that's not what's happening. Jesus never gives that implication to the disciples. He's like, hey, you're going to do crazier things than even I've done. Here, I'm giving you my authority to do what I do. He never says like, ooh, yeah, sorry. Uh, how, do you, how, did, how did this happen? Well, this kind only comes out when I show up and, and show up in a special way. He doesn't say that. Jesus isn't saying you can't do this. He's saying you can't do this unless you pray and fast beforehand. Jesus has given us authority to tear down spiritual strongholds and usher in freedom. Our weapons are mighty in God. The problem is not that we do not have weapons. The problem is that we don't use the weapons that we do have. Jesus demonstrates to us the kind of power that we have access to while exposing the fact that we may not be able to fully employ that power apart from the practice of prayer fasting. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Jesus demonstrates to us the kind of power that we have access to while exposing the fact that we may not be able to fully employ that power apart from the practice of prayer fasting. What happened as a result, 
his deliberate, prayerful starvation led to, lastly, number five, a divine emancipation. Freedom came after Jesus prayed and fasted. Here's the deal. There are some strongholds that can only be broken through prayer and fasting. And God wants us to experience that kind of power and that kind of breakthrough, which is why he didn't keep this a secret and why Jesus wasn't like, oh, it's just like a God thing. Like, you guys don't get it. But he wrote it down for us in his word. If you've been at a standstill, waiting, struggling, like, ah, I'm telling you, man, fast and pray. We see in Acts 13 that as the disciples were fasting and praying, God shows up, reveals himself to, to them, speaks to them about a dilemma in their life. There is a blessing in fasting that as we starve our flesh from something uh, physical, God meets our souls and lives with something spiritual. And again, you may not even realize that there's a need for this or, because your situation seems so practical and earthly and just like a physical thing like, Dude, my wife, my wife and I are just like fighting all the time. Dude, we're just at each other. You know, we just, we're incompatible. We just don't get along. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe the devil hates you and wants to destroy your marriage. Right? Maybe it's actually a spiritual problem that needs to be addressed with spiritual weapons like prayer and fasting. So here's what I'm asking us to do. I'll end with this. I'm asking us to begin to incorporate this into our lives, man. I'm not asking us to be crazy. You can be crazy if you want. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying like fast a meal or two. Okay, do a, this 24-hour fast with us on Tuesday. I'm asking you to incorporate this in your life. Starve your flesh for a meal to remind yourself of your desperate need for God in your situation. And, and, and instead of using that time to eat, use that time to confess your dependency on God, the one who can ultimately fully satisfy, right? That's what I'm asking us to do. I'm not even asking us to do something crazy. I told you last week that I really just sense that um, we need to be ready for family members to start calling us, man. Family members who don't know Jesus, family members who are far from the Lord, they walked away from him. I think God's going to start doing stuff. He's going to start giving people dreams. If you have vivid dreams, uh, listen, look, like, tune into those, okay? I think God wants to speak to people about what he's doing in their families through vivid dreams. And, and even I heard this week, man, multiple people have said, like, dude, that happened to me. People started texting me. I'm having dreams about people in my, in my family. I think this is something God wants to do. I think, I think there's, a, there's a harvest coming, right? Um, and he's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, he's going to bring the harvest no matter what. But he really loves to involve us in it. He doesn't like us to have to stand on the sidelines like the disciples did that day because they were ill-prepared. Jesus would have preferred to have showed up and the disciples have been like, Jesus, dude, this kid, he was mute and deaf since childhood and the dad was crying and he was like, please help us. He was so broken and we did what you told us to do and we told it to come out and, and we did it like we had been praying and fasting, right? And, and we cast it out and it came out and there's freedom. Like Jesus wants that. He doesn't want them sitting on the sidelines being like, dang, dude, well, that looks awesome. God wants to involve us and part of the way that we can be involved in what God is doing and prepared for what is coming it's through the practice of prayer, fasting. I just don't want us to miss the opportunities when they arise. He is inviting us to prepare ourselves for the harvest that is coming, for the strongholds that will be broken through this spiritual practice of prayer, fasting.
So this isn't everything, okay, but this is just something that we're doing as, at a church. Brian mentioned it during announcements. This Tuesday, starting on Monday after dinner, um, through the next 24 hours, so we're going to end at about 8 p.m. on Tuesday, we're taking 24 hours to fast. Okay, we're fasting on Tuesday until about 8, 8 p.m. And we're wanting to do this as, as a church. And we are going to uh, specifically fast and pray to see spiritual strongholds torn down. Okay, we're going to do this corporately. We're doing it on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of our country, our community. And to help facilitate this, um, we're having three different prayer meetings that day. 7 a.m. for 30 minutes. 12 noon for 30 minutes and 7 p.m. for one hour. All of them will be on site right here and online. So you can stream them or you can be on site. We are going to pray together. Every single one is going to be different and they're all going to build on each other. So be at each three or at all three. Don't just not eat and not pray, okay? Don't eat and pray instead, all right? And as you experience hunger... Let it remind you of your hunger and need for God. As you experience the, the groaning in your stomach, okay, let it remind you that there is groaning in the world right now, okay? As you experience longing for physical sustenance, know and remember, oh my gosh, there is a longing for a spiritual need to be met in our world, in my life, in my family right now, and let that drive you to God, the one who can actually come and do something about it and meet an eternal need, okay? We're gonna do that all day, and we're meeting together. 7 a.m., 30 minutes. 12 noon, 30 minutes, and then 7 p.m. for one hour. Like I said, on-site and online. We hope that you can join us. Would you pray for me, with me? Lord, thank you for your clear word here. Uh, simple, really just obvious story here. We wanna take note of this. And we want to be different after this. I imagine that the disciples were a little bit different the next time they came. Uh, well, the next day when they woke up was like, oh, snap, we need to be incorporating this into our lives. Um, God, would you give us grace to incorporate this new kind of practice and discipline into our lives? I'm personally really excited whenever I've, thought about and have fasted and prayed in the past. It was always like, I'm just starving my flesh. Oh, I'm just starving my flesh. I'm feeding the spirit. And that, that's real. But gosh, Lord, I'm really excited to embrace the emptiness in my stomach as a um, illustration of what's happening in the spiritual realm that I can't see, that there's like an emptiness there that I can't physically feel. Thank you for that physical Feeling. Thank you for the practice of prayer fasting and, and feeling empty inside to remind us of the emptiness in the world um, and the need for you to enter into it, the bread of life. You said, Jesus, blessed are those who hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Would you turn our hearts towards you? I want to see a, a great mass of people on Tuesday all fasting, declaring our dependency on you together through fasting and prayer. Would you do that in us, God?